ecstasy is all very well, but it wasn't ecstasy that got me away from the burden of home. It was English literature and an award to London University that set my ecstatic side aflame. Then it went out. The work was dreary, heavy with Anglo-Saxon, and there was no money for theatres or extra food. Though I didn't admit it, I was bored except for when I was in the wonderful but ice-cold Bedford College Library, no coal or heating in the forties. At school, the domestic science mistress, who was vague about geography, had asked me when I reached London to go and visit her niece, newly arrived from the colonies and very shy. Her school was near Reading, which she pronounced as in Reading, and that sounded promisingly like a suburb of London. I nearly turned back when I found the train fare was ten shillings. I used my last faded banknote. And then I was greatly humbled by the schoolgirl niece herself, who looked all of twenty-one, wore wonderful clothes, was bronzed by African sun, and was clearly not homesick at all. She didn't know what to do with me. Desperately, she said there was a lecture that afternoon by L.A.G. Strong, a well-known critic then, on the short story. Would I like to come to it? I had read his book, The Short Story, at school, and what he thought, I thought too. In it, he says, think of the reader, not yourself. Make everything interesting. Write about everything, even linoleum. On the way back to the London train, I followed L.A.G. Strong. I climbed into the same carriage. I sat down beside him. He looked dejected and tired with deep lines between his nose and his sweet mouth. I fell in love. I began to talk. This may sound like nothing, but for me, almost pathologically self-conscious, it was like removing all my clothes and belly dancing. In time, he said, I believe you write. And I said, yes, send me something. Looking weary, he courteously passed me a card. I went back to college, ecstasy in the ascendant, and sent him a short story called The Woman Who Lost a Thought. And I have it yet. And waited. Silence. Silence for two weeks. Then a letter typed in royal blue ink. Jane, you are a writer beyond all possible doubt. And for a while... I stayed with short stories. The first volume of them was about children on a white beach, and I called it A Few Fair Days. I posted it in a letterbox on the corner of Murray Road in Wimbledon. After three weeks I telephoned the publisher and asked if she was going to accept them, as there were other publishers who might like them. Astounded silence. The publisher at Hamish Hamilton said afterwards that she had told her secretary there was a mad woman on the phone and would she find her manuscript and send it back. The secretary found it in the three-foot-high pile of unsolicited manuscripts and said, Do you know, I think these might just do. I have written and published eight or nine collections of short stories and ten novels since then. One won the Catherine Mansfield Award, Two won the Whitbread, and another was a collection about Jamaica, where I had only spent sixteen days, and it won nothing. I was getting rather above myself. These early stories are somewhat wild. 
Then a new publisher asked for a collection with more stories, if you think you can, and I airily said, of course. I don't think this was true. I turned for some years to novels and harder work and was shortlisted for the Booker Prize. Writing fiction has been my life for the past forty years. I finished what I thought should be my last book a year ago, the final novel of a trilogy called Old Filth. Last Friends is a novel, but I like to think it has short stories embedded. When I finished Farewell, I said, Amen. I must learn when to stop. That is what short stories teach you. Yet perhaps the most gratifying thing since writing this book and its two companion volumes before, which have taken eight years, was the phone call this year from my most faithful and enduring publisher, Richard Beswick of...